0: Hey y'all, welcome to Regeneration. My name is Bryce, I have a new life in Christ, and I'm in recovery from fear of man, uh, drug and alcohol, abuse, pride, low self-worth, and this past week, self-preservation. Right. Hey y'all, self-preservation looks like just being selfish, but like extra, extra selfish. And so that's, that's really what that means. Uh, with my time, my emotions, all of that. Um, and so before we jump in, I just wanna say, if this is your first time, welcome. Um, every single one of you, no matter where you're from, what you're coming into this room with the burdens that you may be carrying, the hurt, no matter what's going on or what has happened or what um, may happen, you are welcome here. And this is where you should be. And we're so glad that you are here. Um, Here at Regeneration, we're really unapologetic. If you haven't listened to, if you weren't listening to the worship music, we are unapologetic about what the key to your recovery is. And we believe here in regeneration that the the only thing that can produce recovery or healing in your life is the person and the work of Jesus Christ, period. He can do it, and he has done it. He's done it in my life. And so we're unapologetic in, in, in the sense that the moment you walk into the door and until the moment you leave Watermark, we are doing all that we can just to help you see who he is, to help you look to him the one who brings healing and salvation. And that's what we've been doing in this series called Deja Vu. If you've been with us, we've been talking about um, this redemption, this idea of redemption that God himself has planned from the very beginning. He's planned this redemption from the very beginning, and he's been saying it and showing it to us all throughout the Old Testament over and over again. You've heard this though phrase, he's showing us redemption on repeat, It's like kind of this broken record as redemption over and over again. And this series has really taught us two things, if you've been following along. It has taught us, one, that when God promises to do something, no matter how long it takes, he will do it. No matter how long it takes, he will do it. And because God is faithful to his promise of redemption for you, you can trust him with your recovery. So it doesn't matter what you're walking in here with. You can trust him. So tonight we're going to pick back up in this Deja Vu series, um, in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. And what I need y'all to know is that personally, I was, t- I was like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I was telling my team earlier, I was like, I think that this is the most significant foreshadowing of Jesus's redemption to come. Like, I think this is the most pivotal, most amazing little small five verses in the Old Testament pointing to what God was gonna do when he said that he was gonna come and redeem you. When he promised it, he had this in mind, and I think it's the most amazing thing. So lean in, hear it. It's the story of the bronze serpent in Numbers chapter 21. And just to give us a quick overview, God said he was going to save us in Genesis 3.15. And so in order to bring redemption, he chose a family. And he said, I'm going to bring the Messiah, the Savior, through this family. And this family ended up growing into a nation. Eventually, this nation gets um, cap not captured, but they kind of get stuck in Egypt, and now they're slaves to the Pharaoh, and then God saved them out of slavery. They were being harmed and afflicted, and he saves them out of slavery, and then he's tra- they're traveling through the wilderness because he said, I'm, I made this. I have this perfectly made piece of land for you. It's the one I promised to your forefather I, I, or Abraham, and I'm going to take you to it. So they're traveling through the wilderness, And they're trying to get to it, but then they run into this nation, and the nation's like, hey, you can't cross through here. And they're like, please, and like, nah. And so, like, okay. (laughs) So they gotta take the long way around, okay? So now they're traveling much longer than they thought they would. And they find themselves in this uh, wilderness, and they become really ungrateful and begin to complain. And so we see this pick up in verse five of number 21. It says, and the people spoke against God and Moses, and against Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Like, we hate this manna. Like, God is literally just like, they're waking up in the morning, and there's literally food on the ground for them. Like, I don't know how super, much more supernatural and miraculous it gets, but they're like, we hate this stuff. And um, they ridicule against God, or they speak out against them. And then in verse six, it says that the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord God and against you. Pray to the Lord that he would take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord, in his graciousness, said to Moses, said, make a fiery serpent, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and he set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and he would live. And then the, and then the story ends, like right literally like the next verse, verse 10, it says, and the people of Israel sat out and camped like it didn't in Oboth. Like he didn't mention the bronze serpent since then. It just goes on for the rest of the book of Numbers. But what God is trying to show us here in these five small verses are so amazing. Here's what just happened in just that short little passage. The people sinned was that they spoke against God and they ridiculed against him. They raised their fist at him, showing their ungratefulness for what he had done after saving them out of slavery. And because of this sin against God, God curses them as their punishment. And Israel's specific curse were these deadly poisonous serpents, these fiery serpents that came in and when they bit somebody, it would harm them and then it would eventually lead to their death. And so when they were bitten, they didn't immediately die. They were bitten, and then they would suffer for some time, and they would end up passing away. And so they feared for their life because they, they knew these serpents were there, and as they were seeing people die, they were like, oh, no, we did something super wrong. We're like, okay, we for sure messed up. My homie Joshua's dead now. And so, um, you know, what do we do? What do we do? We go to Moses and say, okay, Moses, listen, we know we messed up. Will you tell God to take away these serpents? Like, make a, he, some, they came out of nowhere, but... And we know we can do it again, so just tell them to send them off. And God, in his graciousness, responds to them. Like immediately, it wasn't like, well, God, God never said in the passage, like, hey, we'll do this thing and do that thing, and then I'll send away the serpents. But he says, after they asked, God immediately gave Moses the next steps. But the weird thing in the way that God responded was that he didn't like send them away or make them disappear or just kill them all off, and then they died right in front of them. he commands Moses to do something different. He commands Moses to create something out of bronze that looked like a fiery serpent and to put it on a pole. God commands Moses to take bronze and to fashion it in such a way that it would look like the very curse that was causing them to die. And he says, put it on a pole and stand it up. And what we have to understand is that it wasn't an actual serpent. Like he didn't go tell him to take like this, um, like a dead serpent and put it on there. He made it of bronze, and he specifically told him to make it look like a serpent. And so, if you if you really just like are looking at this, you're seeing that the very thing that the people feared was the very thing God provided in order to save them. The very thing they feared is the very thing God provided. For them to save them. And then, once they looked up at it, if they had been bitten by this curse of the serpent, they were going to die. If they would look at the bronze serpent that was up there, if they would lift their eyes, they would see this serpent and then they would be healed and then they would live. They would be healed and they would live. And this is just five verses, but God is showing showing us something. Just like he did in all the other stories, he's showing us something deeper. He's saying, hey, there's redemption to come. I'm gonna save you. I'm gonna do something. So this is the meaning of what God is trying to say. God's people, in this scenario, God's people sin against him. And because they sin against him, they receive a curse. And in order that God's people would be saved from that curse, he uses what looked like Uses what looked like or resembled the curse, put on a pole to save them from the curse. And when they looked to it, when they lifted their eyes to the thing that resembled the curse, they would be healed and they would be saved. Five verses. Five verses that contain the glory and goodness of God, and He is speaking to the glory and goodness that He's going to reveal in His in His redeeming of us through His Son Jesus. But these people in Israel, they didn't know it at the time. God didn't reveal it fully until Jesus comes on the scene when we see him in John chapter three, the gospel of John. In John chapter three, now, a thousand plus years later, um, after the story of the serpent, um, Jesus has already begun his ministry and he's been healing and he's been teaching. So he's been healing these people. He's been showing his power and his authority. But then he's been teaching in this way where um, all these other Pharisees are kind of confused because they know the law. Like, they're the teachers of God's stuff, not this guy. We don't even know who this dude, dude is. He's, some, he's from the backwoods in Galilee somewhere. He's got a weird accent. So they're kind of confused, right? And <clears throat> but this man named Nicodemus, who was the ruler of the Jews or ruler of these Pharisees, he's kind of like the top dog. He would have been like the senior pastor or something. Um, he comes... Um, and he goes to Jesus because he knows there's something different about Jesus. He knows there's something about, different about Jesus. And what we need to know about Pharisees specifically, real quickly, is that they were really well acquainted with the curse of sin. Why do I say that? Because the Pharisees devote their whole entire life on teaching and following the law that would keep them from falling to the curse of sin. They spend their whole life to it. They devote it. They literally memorize the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. I can't even memorize I don't even know my phone number half the time. But they devoted their whole life to memorizing these first five books. And they were the best at it. They taught it. They gave their whole lives to it. And this Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He said, there's something different about you. What is it? I know." And he says this, hey, listen, Jesus, I know that you are a teacher that comes from God because there is no normal teacher who can do these things that you're doing, healing and teaching in the way that you're teaching, unless God is with him. And you would think, you know, if we know what Jesus came to do with it, Jesus is like, yeah, hey, you are right, I am from God. But instead of answering him that way, he answers him in a little weird way. I think it's kind of odd. He says, instead of answering that, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, um, you know I don't really know what you mean by that. Like, be born again, like, how, what do you want me to do? How do you, uh, I don't understand what you're telling me to do. How do I get born again without going back into my mother's womb? Explain to them, this to me, I don't understand. And then Jesus reiterates himself, but adds a little more. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then after this, Nicodemus is like, <clears throat> he literally says, Jesus, how can these things be? I don't understand. And poor Nicodemus, he knows, he knows everything, right? He knows the whole law. He knows the way to follow, God's, um, to, to follow God's way. And he was just looking for a better solution. He knew there was something that Jesus had that he didn't have. And so he went to him. He's looking for a better so, um, solution to his problem, to the curse. And he didn't understand what was standing right in front of him. He didn't understand who he was talking to. He just thought he was a good teacher of the law, the teacher of this way that he already knew. He couldn't understand what was right in front of him. And I think, Regent, that we are all a lot like Nicodemus. Like, <clears throat> we may not be senior, pa- I'm not a senior pastor for sure, but, and y'all may not be a senior pastor. There may be a senior pastor in here. I'm not gonna say that. That's not the case. Um, but we are a lot like Nicodemus in that we've been bitten by the curse. And you feel it. We've been bitten by the curse. We've experienced the pain of sin. It's probably the very reason you walked into these doors. It's because you knew that there was something wrong. You knew that there was this cursed aspect of your life and you can't figure out how to fix it. And maybe maybe the experience of this curse, the brokenness of sin has led you to alcoholism or addiction to pornography or your pride, and and those three things, whether all together or separate, one of them or all of them destroyed your marriage or is destroying your relationships with your family or your friends, right? Or your addiction, whatever your addiction is, it caused you to lose your job and you don't know what to do. Or you've experienced the brokenness of abuse, being abused by somebody else. It wasn't even your fault, you're not even the one who put yourself into those situations. And let me tell you this, if you are sitting in this room and you have been abused by someone else, I can't say more clearly, more, I can't say any more clearly than this. No matter where you were or what was happening or what you said or what that person made you think, if you were taken advantage of and you were abused, it is not your fault, it is not and there's healing for you. There's healing for you who are in this room who may have been abused, and also maybe this brokenness of sin, this experience of the curse has led you to be the one who has abused another person. And now you understand this, you're in this situation where, listen, there's something wrong with my life, I understand that I need a better solution, and so what you do is you run off and you try to figure out everything you can to change your life. You do all that you can. You go to the program. Right, you go to the regeneration. You go to the AA. You go to the Bible study. You go to Equip Disciple. You go to whatever, whatever they're offering you. You go and you do it because you're like, okay, listen, this is the best practice. So you try the program. You try the practice. You try the words. Right, you try to put on this, you try to put on this new facade. Like, okay, like maybe if I'm acting like a Christian, I can do this thing if I show up on Sundays. Like you do, you try it all out, right? And you're asking yourself, what knowledge? Like, what do I need to understand? What knowledge must I acquire? Like Nicodemus, he's like, Jesus, help me understand what to do. I don't understand what you're saying. And we're saying, hey, what do I need to understand? What do I need to know in order that I can change my life and be freed from this past, to be freed from the brokenness of right now? It's what we do. And these are all, like, these are good things. Like, region is a good thing. I spend 40 hours a week doing it or, and or more, right? Um, and many of you have given a lot of your time to being here and to finding healing. Like AA is not a bad thing. The word of God is an amazing thing. We're speaking from it because there's truth, but it's not what we do that heals us. And no matter how many good things we do, when Jesus is standing before you like Nicodemus, when you're face to face with him, he is saying that those good things are not enough. No amount of good thing that we can do is enough to change a life, to save us and to heal us, he says. Because, Regen, the key to redemption is not better knowledge, but belief. The key to our redemption is not better knowledge, but it is belief. And there's only one way. Belief is the one way to enter the freedom in which you seek. And Jesus makes it really, really abundantly clear in these next couple of verses. So after Nicodemus doesn't understand, he's like, he's like Jesus, how, do, how, how are these things? How, do, how can this be? he references back to this story that he knew Nicodemus would have memorized. He references back to this book called Numbers in the specific chapter 21. And he says this to um, Nicodemus. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted, the, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. Y'all hear that? verse 14, he says, and in the same way, in the same way as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man, Jesus Christ, be lifted up, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him would have eternal life. Do you see what's going on here? Do you see what Jesus is saying to uh, Nicodemus? Do you see the parallel he's making, he knew Nicodemus would have known this story. He knew that Nicodemus um, understood that the Israelites were dying because of this curse and they looked at the bronze serpent and it would save them and heal them from that curse. And just as the serpent was made to save and heal, Jesus was saying that he was offering himself to save and heal. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. For it, as, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. This is what Jesus was saying. Because of our rebellion, region, we have received a curse of death. Because of our rebellion, we have received a curse of death. And out of God's Love, desiring to save us from this curse, he sends his son who being perfect in every way was not deserving of the curse, but he was made to resemble the curse. He was not deserving of the curse, but he was made to resemble the curse, taking on the curse of death, that who would ever look to him and believe in him would be saved. Jesus was perfect in every way. There's a reason why God didn't ask Moses to take an actual serpent and stick it on a pole. Jesus wasn't cursed in the same way that we deserve the curse. He became one who resembled the curse and he paid the penalty on our behalf. It is not enough to know of Jesus, region. You can come to region every Monday night for three years and if you don't believe in Jesus, it won't be enough. It is not enough to know of him. You must believe in him to be saved and to be healed. But you can't be healed unless you're resurrected from the dead. Dead people don't get better. They stay in the grave unless Jesus calls them from the grave. So if you're here, regeneration, as I finish, if you're here and you're looking for regeneration or you're looking for redemption or freedom or healing, God is calling you to lift up the eyes of your heart. There's not more knowledge. He's asking you to lift the eyes of your heart to Jesus to see that just as the bronze serpent brought healing, that he promised Jesus would also bring healing, he would fulfill it. So in your addiction, in this room, look to Jesus in faith with the eyes of your heart. If you're here in your brokenness, if you're here in your pain, look to Jesus with the eyes of your heart and believe in him who can destroy sin and death and bring new life for you. He's done it in me. I was praising him this morning. This week is Holy Week and I wanna say this, I'm going a little long. We did not plan on preaching on Bronze Serpent this week. We planned this a year ago in June. We just said, hey, we're going to do these things. And somehow it fell on this week. But this Friday marks the day that Jesus Christ was um, publicly portrayed as crucified. This Friday, we call it Good Friday. And we're going to have a service to worship him for doing so. Those of you who have believed and those of you who have not yet believed, you're invited. You're invited, and he will heal you. He will sanctify you. Tonight, we're gonna to hear a story of my brother Lupe, who has been changed by Christ when he lifted the eyes of his heart to see him, and he became redeemed, and now he's being healed. So, welcome Lupe up to the stage, folks.